Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, our host, Pastor Larry Spargimino, has an update on our mission efforts in Pakistan, and Larry Stam is here to begin a brand new teaching series. Larry Stam's brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity, has been flying off the shelves. Larry Stam begins today's teaching series based on this exciting new book, teaching the Jewish history of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. Shalom, friends. Larry Stam here. So glad you're joining us for this study called The Jewish Roots of Christianity, a biblical survey of the redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. We are going to, in this study, introduce connections between biblical Judaism and Christianity. How did we get here from there? This is the whole counsel of God. If we want to understand one, we have to study also the other. Our starting point is that biblical Christianity comes out of biblical Judaism, or the religion of the Old Testament, otherwise known as the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill. So Jesus, in one sense, is the fulfillment of biblical Judaism, the religion of the Old Testament. When we think about this idea of Jewish and what the word Jew means, we need to understand that Abraham begot Isaac, who begot Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of those sons, his name was Judah. And so originally, anybody of the descendants of Judah were called Jews. At some point in the future, anybody of the 12 tribes of Israel were called Jews. The word Gentile comes from a Hebrew word goyim, and it literally means nations. So every one of us physically were either Jewish or were Gentile. I want you to know that I've been a follower of Jesus Christ since 1987. And I came to faith through the faithful testimony of believers just like you who shared with me in various places out in the world at college, at work, even on an airplane. And God used people to bring me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I had an epiphany as a young believer as I began to study the New Testament and seek the Lord. I saw that Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. The New Testament was written by Jewish people. And I thought, this is Jewish. Why didn't I learn this growing up in the synagogue? In fact, you could say that the Gospels in one sense are simply a Jewish debate among Jewish people about the true identity of a Jewish man, Jesus. Now, what could be more Jewish than that? So as we think about the Jewish roots of Christianity, really what we're talking about is just a biblical survey connecting the dots between the Old Testament and New Testament from Genesis to Revelation so that we can better understand the gospel message and better understand the person and work of, as we say in Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach, which means Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah and Christ are the same word, meaning the same thing, but from two separate languages. In Hebrew or Aramaic, the word Mashiach means anointed one. In the Greek, the word is Christos, from which we get the word 
Christ. Mashiach means anointed one. It also means in English Messiah. So those words are synonymous. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil to consecrate them for special service or to signify the endowment of God's spirit. Now, these practices pointed to the promised arrival of God's anointed one, capital A, capital O, the Messiah, capital M. And the Messiah Jesus would fulfill all three offices as prophet, priest, and king. Jesus was and is a prophet, priest, and a king. He's the prophet greater than Moses. He is our great high priest, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So in the Hebrew scriptures, better known to us as the Old Testament, some religious Jews refer to the Old Testament as Tanakh, which is an acronym for the Torah, the prophets, and the writings in the Hebrew Scriptures. We find that in the Hebrew Scriptures, there were a number of anointed ones, messiahs, small m. These were people who were anointed by God for a special service at a special time to accomplish God's purposes. We talk about Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, capital M, singular. I've mentioned the Old Testament as the Hebrew Scriptures. We could also call it the Jewish Bible. The New Testament, you may hear me referring to it as the New Covenant Scriptures. In Hebrew, we would say the Brit Chadeshah, literally means New Covenant. So if I talk about the New Covenant, I'm talking about the New Testament. If I'm talking about the Jewish Bible or Tanakh or the Hebrew Scriptures, that is a reference to the Old Testament. In Hebrew, Jesus' name is Yeshua. Yeshua literally means salvation. I want to delineate the difference between the Judaism of Jesus' day and the Judaism of today because this will lay for us a powerful foundation of understanding that will embellish our studies going forward. The Judaism of today is what we call traditional rabbinic Judaism, or in other words, Orthodox Judaism. This is not the religion of the Old Testament. Biblical Judaism, however, is the religion of the Old Testament. And again, we said Jesus himself noted in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill. Biblical Judaism is the religion God gave Israel in the Old Testament and was based on the sacrificial system. Traditional rabbinic Judaism also known as Orthodox Judaism today, is the religion of the unbelieving rabbinic community developed after the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 AD. Now, there are two huge differences between biblical Judaism, the religion of Jesus' day, and the Judaism of today. The two great differences between biblical Judaism and traditional rabbinic Judaism are, number one, whose word is authoritative, and number two, how do we have our sins forgiven? We know biblical Judaism teaches that forgiveness was found on the altar of sacrifice. When God birthed the nation of Israel, in Leviticus chapter 17, 11, the Lord said, speaking through Moses, these words, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And so clearly we see a picture of substitutionary atonement. That was essential to have one's sins forgiven. 
The other area that biblical Judaism promotes is that the Bible is God's word. The Lord said at the end of the book of Revelation, do not add or subtract from the revelation found in this book, a reference not only to the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures or New Testament, but a reference to the entire Word of God, and that's critical. So here is what traditional rabbinic Judaism, how it came about and what it believes today about the authority of the Scripture alone versus the authority of man and the means of forgiveness. So traditional rabbinic Judaism came about in two ways. Number one, regarding the sacrifices, after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the altar in Jerusalem at the temple was destroyed. Why? There was no longer a need for an altar for a sacrifice on that altar. Why? Because if you remember in John chapter 1, John, the cousin of Jesus, looked at Yeshua, Jesus, and said in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. After the temple was destroyed, you had the Messianic Jewish community, the early church, on one side of the spectrum. On the other side of the issue, you had the unbelieving rabbinic community who rejected Jesus as the Messiah and his claims to be the Messiah. And they had to figure out how to propagate Judaism without a temple. And they met in the desert in the Holy Land in a place called Yavne for a couple of decades, and they hammered out what we would know today as the basic tenets of traditional rabbinic Judaism. And the means of forgiveness that they unveiled was this. We are not forgiven through the altar of sacrifice and offerings made therein. However, we are now forgiven through the magic formula of prayer, repentance, and good works, of which you will find many scriptures in the Old Testament. But here is the problem with that. The sin debt must be paid. And that's why God gave Israel the altar of sacrifice and this word picture of millions and millions and millions of gallons of the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats shed It was a word picture, a powerful example to Israel that the life of the flesh is in the blood and on the altar of sacrifice, forgiveness is found. Here's a modern illustration that I think you'll understand. Supposing I committed a crime and I show up on the day of my arraignment and I go to the judge and I confess my illegality and I said, judge, I'm guilty as charged, but here's the deal, judge. I have given alms to the poor, I've repented of that, and I'm really, really, really sorry. Can I go home now? Obviously, you may be at home or wherever you're listening to this broadcast chuckling. Of course not. The judge is going to say this, the debt must be paid. And that's why Jesus, the Messiah, took our sins upon the cross. He was our great high priest. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is He who paid that sin debt for us so that through faith in Him we could be forgiven and experience abundant and eternal life. But there's more. He rose again on the third day, conquering the power of sin and death. There is the one great gulf fixed between biblical Judaism, the religion of the Old Testament, and traditional rabbinic Judaism. Biblical Judaism teaches that we receive forgiveness of our sins through the altar of sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice for sin. 
and specifically blood sacrifice. Traditional rabbinic Judaism, again, teaches that we are forgiven through the magic formula of prayer, repentance, and good works. And over my years as a missionary to my Jewish people and others, I have said on occasion, do you believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And most people would say yes. And then I would say, therefore, his ways don't change, do they? And they would affirm and say, no, they don't. And say, so when God gave the altar of sacrifice as the means of atonement, he just didn't change his mind because the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. It doesn't work like that. The second area of divergence between the religion of the Old Testament, which was the religion in Jesus' day, and the religion that is today called Orthodox Judaism or traditional Rabbinic Judaism is the authority of God's word. At Mount Sinai, when God gave Moses the law, The Pharisees believed that God also gave Moses an oral law in addition to the written law. This oral law was a supplement to the written law. The Pharisees believed that Moses handed down this oral law or this oral tradition to Aaron. Aaron passed it down to his sons throughout the generations. And so by the time of the first century, you can read in the Gospels, Jesus confronts the Pharisees with their teaching as God's word, the traditions of men, in lieu of the commandments of God found in Scripture. So this oral law, this oral tradition that was prevalent in the first century was called the tradition of the elders. This oral law was actually codified or written down the first five centuries after Christ. And it is in Judaism called the Talmud, which is the oral law. There are two separate Talmuds. There's the Jerusalem Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud is actually authoritative to religious Jewish people today who don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah and who reject the New Testament as the Word of God. And there's a problem there. God spoke through Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It's not a proof text necessarily, but it certainly is very compelling that right after the Torah, the first book after the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the next book in God's revelation, the book of Joshua, the Lord says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein. So those are the two huge differences between biblical Judaism and rabbinical Judaism. Biblical Judaism, the religion of the Old Testament, teaches that we receive forgiveness through the sacrifice on the altar, that there must be a sacrifice, namely blood sacrifice, for the forgiveness of sin, and that God's word alone is authoritative. Traditional rabbinic Judaism teaches that we are forgiven not through a sacrifice, but through prayer, repentance, and good works, which is not biblical. And traditional rabbinic Judaism also believes that it is not only the words of God, but it's the words of men, namely in the oral Torah and other Jewish writings, the writings of the rabbis. So there we have an introduction to the Jewish roots of Christianity. And until next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. 
Get today's program with Larry Stam on CD by calling 1-800-652-1144 or visiting swrc.com. One of the ministries that you support is the ongoing work in Pakistan. Pastor Larry is here to give us an update on all the wonderful things that God is doing in Pakistan thanks to your prayers and financial support. Pastor Victor Samuel, pastor of Grace Bible Church in Tobatek Singh, Pakistan, and also the headmaster and principal of Grace Charity School. Hello, Pastor Victor. Hey, brother. How are you doing? So good to talk with you. Yes, I'm doing well. How is the new school bus doing? It is going very good. We praise the Lord for all the supporters who have helped us with this great need because we use it for the pick and drop of the children, especially the girls. And I want to tell everyone that this is the biggest blessing ever, as I have shared in my last interview with you guys about the Brickland, the situation here is very terrible, especially regarding the girls, the safety of girls. Right. Well, we certainly thank those who have contributed. And I understand that Grace Charity High School is becoming a well-known educational institution and also a place of spiritual support for families. So tell us about the family prayer meetings that you're carrying on. I am praising the Lord that God has been moving here in my town. I started this revival and spiritual awakening prayer meetings in the families, and I praise the Lord that many people are coming to know Lord Jesus. I have many testimonies from non-believers and especially from the Catholicism The people are coming to know Lord Jesus, and we are teaching them and we are telling them that Christ is coming and we need to repent and we need to come to know Him and we need to get a baptism. Just recently, we had a very big group of people in our family meeting, and we raised that in our Grace Charity High School building, and we had approximate 180 people there. When you talk about revival and spiritual awakening... I think that's such an important topic because so many people's hearts are cold. I think all the confusion in the world and all the trouble, even Christian people are forgetting who is Lord. Are you preaching and exhorting the people at those meetings to turn to Jesus before it's too late? Yes, I want to tell you all that at Grace Bible Church, Pakistan, we have a passion to see our generation experience God and get empowered and become activated in our calling so we can witness a new kingdom movement for authentic revival. We recognize that revival does not manifest just because we want it to. Mm. There are certain conditions that must be met to bring it to pass. So too often we say we want revival, but we are not willing to pay the price to see it to come pass. Yes. So real revival cannot be manufactured by hype. Prayer is the key yes. because prayer creates a movement that gives birth revival. Prayer is the place where the fire is born. This is because revival is supernatural. Yes. So we are telling the church why the revival is important and how the revival happens. So therefore we must pray because when we pray, something happens on mm. the inside of us. Amen. Our transformations takes place, 
as we experience the fire of God, there is so much more than the spiritual action of invoking communication with God. That is all so true, and I'm just so excited to hear you expressing it that way, because all that you say is so true. Mm. We require the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. You know, we can say we're going to have a revival meeting at 8 o'clock, but that doesn't mean we're going to have a revival. But by prayer and supplication, and I know some of the dear saints in Pakistan, they're very hungry for God. There's a hunger, and I believe when there's a hunger like that, it's because there's someone who is leading them, such as yourself, Mm -hmm. praying for them, teaching them the Word of God. And just to think that this is also happening with the school. So what does Jesus mean to the students? I can see the joy of the Lord in their faces. Some of them are just so precious, both boys and girls. What does Jesus mean to a young Christian school student in Tobitek Singh? As you can see in almost every post and in every poster and the banners of the Dreshari High School, we have the uh, motto verse of the school is they let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. So the Grey children knows who Jesus is and he calls children to come closer to him. So he loves them. We teach them that he loves them and he cares about them because we have too many difficulties, especially when we talk about the Brickland uh, mm. boys and girls, you know. Right. They are driven by poverty and lack of access to education. Tens of thousands of children work at uh, Brickland's uh, underpaid, overworked, and yeah. exploited, even though the country's constitution starts that no child below the age of 14 years shall be engaged in any factory or mine or any other employment. But things are pretty, pretty, uh, you know, disturbing so we tell them about jesus that jesus cares about them i want to share with you one of the girl's story from the brooklyn and she's only nine years old and i met her last week while i was visiting the brooklyn families she told me that i have been working at the brooklyn for the last three years and she's only nine years you know well you can say that she was six years old when she started working at the brooklyn's so she says that I wish to pay off my father's debt immediately. Mm. So her name is Gul. So Gul talks about wanting to play with other girls, which she can never do because she is always working at the Brickland. Right. So she says that I can't quit the job. She says a sadness in her voice. You can see and you can feel that. She said, I know my younger siblings willingly or unwillingly will also have to work at the Picklins because we are children of lesser God. So she broke my heart. Mm. Then I tried to motivate her parents that I can help them out with education. But her parents said that they can't afford it because if they put their children in the school, so how they will be able to pay the debt. So it's right. really a sad story and sad situation here. But you know, in this whole situation, even every other child in Grace Charity School has the similar stories. Right. But you know, when we tell them about Jesus and the how precious he is, and we tell them that Jesus is compassionate for the children and he loves them. So they know about it and uh, they worship, they pray every day in the school and they get the spiritual education and also yes. the formal education.
Well, friends, I'm talking to Pastor Victor Samuel in Tobatek Singh, Pakistan. He is the headmaster of Grace Charity School, and you're hearing the testimonies, some of the things that are happening there, because you've been helping us. When we speak about Grace Charity School, the school does not charge any tuition. If they had to pay tuition, they couldn't go. So it's your gifts and your prayers and your helping us. Everything you give to the Pakistan mission goes to Pakistan. I don't get anything out of it. Nobody gets anything out of it. It goes all to Pakistan. And just think of how because of your gift, you can put your hand on the heart of a precious boy or girl in Pakistan. What a tremendous opportunity that is. So I want to challenge you. Give me a call if you have any questions about the ministry in Pakistan, 1-800-652-1144. And this is your opportunity to give a gift to the school for the teachers, for the students, for the maintenance of the property, for getting books and doing all these things that these precious boys and girls need to have a good Christian education in Pakistan. And I'm so excited. You know, Pastor Victor, Grace Charity School is growing, and I know you need some extra space. Now, I understand there's a plot of land right in front of the school. Tell us about the need and the opportunity. I would like to request you that the number of children is excessive. We have less room space, and we want to shift playgroup pre-prep and one, two, and three grades separately in new campus if God provides us this place for a small children's school. We have this plot available in front of school. That would be really a fantastic opportunity to purchase it before somebody else do it and make something else there instead of the school because we have the biggest christian school there and if somebody else pick the board and make something else there you know for the security of children it would not be safe for us so we are thinking that if we can buy it and since we have the more children coming in so we can have the separate campus for the younger children the cost of the land is $18,235 U.S., right. so we are hoping that God is going to provide for that. Well, I know you sent me a picture, and like you say, it is right in front of the school. It would be wonderful if the school could have that property for extra room for the elementary school, whatever the need is. So friends, here's a challenge. You might want to give a dollar or 10 or maybe a 1000 Who knows what? Or maybe 10,000. I know there are some people out there when they hear my voice and hear Pastor Victor's voice and realize that he is speaking from the country of Pakistan, you say, wow, what a tremendous opportunity this is to help the work of Jesus Christ, to bring peace, to bring love to every heart. So remember our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. If you have any questions about the Pakistan mission, I'd be glad to talk to you about that. Pastor Victor Samuel in Tobatek, St. Pakistan. Dear brother, thank you so much. Friends, this is for the Pakistan Mission Grace Charity School. What an opportunity for you to get involved in ministry in Pakistan. Today in the Resource Center, we have three outstanding books for Messianic Bible teacher Larry Stamm. Serving in his court, Into the Gale, and his brand new book, Jewish Roots of Christianity. Get all three books for a gift of $50 or more by calling 1-800-652-1144. 
three books by Larry Stamm for a gift of $50 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, James Collins and Larry Spargimino will have headlines from the end times, and we'll learn how atheists steal from God in trying to make their case for atheism. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Thank you.